A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have with me Tina Kuhn. She is the CEO of Proximus Group. Uh, and Tina, I'll have you explain a little bit more about what you're doing there in a little bit. And uh, also the author of a, of a really interesting book, The Manager's Communication Toolkit. And with communication being something that I often hear as a consultant as being an issue, this is a book that can help a lot of, a lot of companies, I think. So, uh, Tina, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's so nice to be here today. That's really good to have you. So, you know, um, we, we do end up having a lot of authors, a lot of really good authors on our, on our show, and there's always great content. Um, that content doesn't come from nowhere. We always say there's, there's the story, there's the path, and uh, our listeners know we always start with, with, with kind of a bit of the life story. So I'd, I'd like to turn it over to you and, and ask the question, you know, to, you know, I'd love to know your path through your life and what is it that brought you to this point of becoming an expert at communication, not just communication, but the book highlights really communicating with difficult people. I, I think that that's, that's something that we all struggle with. So I'd love to, to hear the story about how you got to get to this place of being an expert at this. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So I, I started out as a software developer um, and I, you know, moved up into team leadership and project leadership. And then I had one um, kind of five-year stint where I was brought into um, organizations that were troubled. They were either programs that were troubled, organizations were troubled, um, projects that were just not completing what they needed to complete. And so I was, I was brought in and I, what I realized in every single place that I was brought into, there were good people there that were just not communicating very well. They just had terrible communication techniques. Um, and they didn't change their communication based on the people they were talking to. And so their communication just didn't work for, for their teams. So for about five years, I would, would come in and I just saw the same issues over and over where they were, they were competent, people, they knew what they were doing, they just couldn't communicate very well. And so their their leadership um, was just very flat and harmful in many cases. So that's when I started getting the idea of, of this book. I would um, write down the, the different scenarios that I went through and how I solved them and how I helped help teams get back on track. And, uh, you know, do whatever needed to get done in order to um, produce what they needed to produce, get the schedule on track, get the um, people so that they weren't um, leaving um, programs. And, and so as I built up all of this, I started um, writing articles and, and teaching, I taught program management classes. And, and so then I decided it's, it would be a good thing to write a book. So as I was, as I was going through this and writing it, I came up with about 10 different difficult personalities. And what I found is that, you know, when we think of difficult personalities, like the manipulator, the whiner, the liar, the 
Um, you you can read my book to 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 get all ten of them. Sure. But what I people don't act like that all the time. They they start acting like this when they're distressed when something's wrong. They kind of go back to their basic um, love comfort level, which may be um, you know they let's just take the whiner. That's my. That that one whiners just drive me crazy. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that. You one. know, people, are, <laughs> right? Um, you know, they're whining, and when you whine, it it means you're you're not really taking responsibility for it. You're you're complaining without really figuring out what you can do about it or how you can fix it. So it's people that are. Um, you know, not taking any responsibility. So how I deal with that is you ask them, what would they do? How would they fix it? Sure. Because it, it takes it from that bad behavior to what they, you know, what they should, what they want you to do about it and to, to walk them through that. So what I found is most of the kind of the bad behavior or the behavior that, triggers other people it's it's protecting the individual there everyone's always protecting themselves it's not what i found is that they're not they don't want to hurt others they want to protect themselves it's an interesting thought because so we talk a lot about this in our work as well we have a tool we call it the accountability ladder and it and it talks about what happens when things happen Right, and what's what's the first natural movement? Is it is it up this kind of la- la- ladder into a world of accountable behavior, or is it down the ladder into victim based behaviors? And it's based on a psychological premise that that naturally naturally speaking, right, we're all born and wired to the negative bias, and it's part of our fight or flight mechanism. It's also part of our our self protection mechanism. And so what I'm hearing from you, and, 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 and I would agree with this a, a thousand percent, is all these bad, bad behaviors really manifest themselves, not just under stress, but they're, we're almost naturally wired for these things to happen. It takes conscious awareness to move towards solution and move in another direction. Right, right. And, you know, change is hard. And what I found during transformation is that people tend to to go into these bad behaviors because change starts triggering their defense mechanisms. And when those defense mechanisms are triggered, they go into these, um, into these bad behaviors. Excellent. Excellent. So, so as you identified these, um, you know, these different people, I mean, you know, starting on the path early on, um, what do you think it was about you that allowed you to be open to see this. And, and, and I don't mean to be, you know, um, this, this might sound horrible. I've, I've got a lot of friends in the IT world and I don't always, I don't always see the highest, let's call it levels of, of empathy or recognition of others. You know, so what was it about you? Maybe your upbringing, do you think that, that brought you to this place of being able to recognize that this was the issue as opposed to you could have just gone in into these turnarounds and either taken control or pushed people or forced things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, we, we see all kinds of those kind of, kind of behaviors, especially in turnarounds. Um, what about your past, you know, that, that helped develop who you are in this, this ability to recognize? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, you know, I, I would say, it's because I continuously tried to learn and I didn't get um, stuck within myself. And, and what 
what I really learned was my ego was getting in the way. So when I had, you know, we, no one ever does everything right. And if you don't fail, um, you know, you're not really growing. Um, but the trick is when you fail is to learn from your mistakes. So I think early on, I, I tried hard to look at my failures you know, I gave myself a weekend to feel sorry for myself and, you know, I'd pick myself up, figure out, you know, where I did wrong, uh, you know, what I did wrong and how to fix it. Um, but I, I really tried to learn from every mistake and, and figure out what I did wrong, how I can do it better yeah. and what, how I was getting in my own way. So instead of blaming others, I really looked at myself to figure out how I contributed to that, you know, failure. That's, that's excellent. And you know, um, your, your call out on your ego. I, I think that that personally, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to recognize is when our ego is getting in the way. And look, look, everybody has an ego. You know, I, I've heard people say, I have no ego at all. You know, it's all about everybody's got an ego, right? We, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's half our personality, personality, the ego and the id, right? Per, science has proven this. We all have an ego yet having something occur, recognizing it. Was there a, um, was there a specific point, a specific failure that, that said, wow, my ego is really getting in the way. I need to rethink how, you know, how I'm approaching things. Um, there's, maybe there's a couple, you know, it sounds like you had a number of licenses. We, we all are on this, ju- this journey. And sometimes there's, there's one in particular that really stands out that, that was kind of that moment of, of starting the path of transformation. Did you have one of those or a couple of those? And would you share? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely had um, one. And it was, it was early when I was going into organizations and fixed them. And, you know, my, my ego came, you know, I, you know, I was better than them. I knew how to fix, fix their organization. And... I didn't, I, I was proven, I, I really failed on it. The, the person, that, the people there were, I didn't understand their situation. I didn't understand where they were coming from. I didn't have much empathy um, to see the bigger picture and to see, um, see them. It was a, it, it was a organization that I came in and that people were having problems with the leader and and it was a huge failure, and I thought there was going to be, um, it didn't end up happening, but a lawsuit against me. And, I mean, there were there were just multiple, um, you know, triggers that, um, that happened. And it was all because of my ego. And it was, was because I did not look at the other people and why they did things and how, you know, how how their path came about and what they were, what they were doing to, um, to, to get to the place that they were at. And um, it it was, it was very, it was very difficult. It took me months to, to get over that and, and feel like I wasn't, you know, an okay person again. I mean, basically I ended up getting, screamed at and yelled at and cussed at on multiple occasions. And then my leadership basically kind of left me out there hanging. So I was by myself in this very difficult, um, chaotic, um, unforgiving. 
so situation. Were you, were you actually working for the company? You weren't a, you weren't an outside consultant coming in, but you were working for this company at the time. I was working. I was working for the company, but it became so volatile that everyone kind of stepped up, stepped away and and left me there. Yeah, yeah. And, it's everybody, the rats fleeing the sinking ship, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've 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 known people in that situation. It, so, did you end up just? Did, well, this might be the tough question too. Did they ultimately like terminate you? Did you end up walking away? I mean, you know, what was what was your path out of there? Because you know, there's two sides to this. Yeah, you you know, you brought the, the issues that were there, but but also in my mind, there's no place for yelling and screaming or whatever. If I've got a person that's not cutting it, I'm sitting down and having a very honest conversation. But there's no need to get ugly about it, right? And um, what was I mean? Were you getting ugly with people at that point? I mean, is that what prompted it when you look back at it today, or or was it also just just a cultural issue with this company? So when I look back at it, no, I actually was not getting ugly, but I did hit a nerve. I was honest, Mm -hmm. and I did hit a lot of nerves. Yeah, and because of that, there was a huge backlash on that, that honesty. And when I look back at it, could I have approached it in a a different way? Absolutely. Could I have communicated in a way that didn't cause all, you know, these people to really, to trigger all these, you know, bad self, uh, you know, defense mechanisms. Um, Absolutely. So I see where my, well, I did things that I, I could have, not gotten myself into this situation, but my ego was like, I know better than them. This is what they're doing wrong. Yeah. And uh, so, no, I was not, I, I, I did not cuss or scream or yell or anything, but I was what I thought was honest about my assessment, but it, um, it, it, I just didn't handle the situation in a way that I could get them on board to make changes. I mean, look, ultimately when you have, when you want to make change, you, you need to get people on board with you. Changes, change is really hard. Even when people know change is right and good and the best thing for the organization, they still resist change. And so to, to approach change in a, in a way that people can hear it, that they can, um, see the benefits that you can show them how this change will make their organization better. Um, that's how you, that's how you get transformation and change to just hit people over the head typically causes all these bad defense mechanisms. And then you have a much harder road to, to go, go up. You know, you mentioned, you know, coming in and just, you know, firing people. And I think, I think typically when that's done, what's the term? You throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah. Where sometimes you can lose more than you gain. Yeah. Now there's some cases where I have come in, and after my assessment, I could not get people to where they could be productive members of the team, and they were doing more harm than good, and so you fired them, you know, or I fired them. But for the most part, I think. I think I could get people to where they could be more productive and in a better place to make the change. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it is so much about approach. Uh, you know, we're already up on our first break. So um, we're going to, we're going to step away for just a couple minutes. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Tina Kuhn. Stay tuned, everyone. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real world advice on culture leadership and execution the execution culture available now on amazon when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network this is transformative experts with chris elias if you have a question or a comment about the show please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Tina Kuhn. Uh, so, Tina, just before we went to the break, I mean, we, we were really talking about, you know, the right way and the wrong way to come in. And, you know, it, it, it actually took me back to a question I had a minute or two ago in my mind. Um, you know, what I was hearing from you is a lot of, it's not what you needed to say. It was really how you said it. It was more of your, your approach to the communication. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. And um, that being the case, you know, as you reflect back on that, that, that situation that was the catalyst, um, even though you might have changed your approach, it was still necessary to be honest, right? Honesty, to me, honesty is still part of maybe one of the most important parts of, of communication, but there's different ways to be honest. Right. 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 No, you're exactly right. It's, it's the being honest in a way that the other person can hear you. And by, by triggering someone's defense mechanisms right away means they block out their, they they just stop listening and they stop hearing and they start getting into, um, you know, you mentioned the, the, um, you know, flight mode, you know, the fight and flight mode, Um, you get them, angry you get them fearful well that's uh, they're just going to stop listening and they're not going to they're not going to make the change that needs to be made so you know um what you're talking about you know we we've worked a lot in turnarounds and, and those kind of things those are tough situations to begin with and sometimes you come in and the the atmosphere is already toxic 
What what has been first of all? So the audience can't see that you're nodding, but you're, you're obviously agreeing with a point. And um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've also walked into those situations now as you, as your career has evolved. What are some of the first things that you would do walking into a, a, a environment that has the potential for toxicity or is a toxic environment to start the turnaround? So I think most people want to be heard and want to be recognized. And that's what gets people motivated when they see that they're being recognized for their hard work, when they see that they're making a difference. Uh, What I found is that teams and people work harder than, and they'll put in more hours and they team, you know, they pull their resources together and really make a, a good product. So what does that have to do with the toxicity and and turnaround is I come in and interview people, not just at the the top tier, but at the the level below and sometimes even the level below that and really listen to what they have to say and and not make judgments. Now, it doesn't take me long, a couple weeks. So I'm not talking about, you know, a long period of time, but, you know, a week or two. To, to really listen and hear what they have to say. And just by giving people that time to listen and to, to take in what they're saying, that starts that turnaround because people have a, 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 a place to both air their grievances, mm-hmm. but I also ask them, I, I make everyone I interview talk about what's going right. And what's good about the organization? Yeah, yeah. Do you want them to start thinking about what's bad? Because you know what you said before. People think about what's bad. It's really easy to get back down to what's bad, and it's harder to keep remembering what's good. You know, it's like the gossiping. You know, gossip. Bad gossip goes to an organization in like five minutes. Good stuff doesn't. <laughs> It does. It does. Yeah. We always said that that the the only thing faster than the speed of light is is the grapevine, right? And and it's never the good stuff. It's 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 always the negative. It's uh, I I mentioned this in another um, another uh, interview, but number of years ago, I met a, um, a psychiatrist by the name of Rosamund Zander, and she had written a book. and, And the title of the book escapes me. This is probably 20 years ago. And she talked about this thing, the downward spiral. And the downward spiral is basically, I consider it's like a snowball effect, right? Um, you know, something negative happens and then somebody comes in and joins in and there's this kind of circular downward, it just gets worse and worse and worse and it can go very, very fast. It's like, it's like peeking over the top of a roller coaster and it just starts to accelerate downward. And it's a real thing. It really is. Oh, it absolutely is a real thing. And so, you know, the very first thing I do is try and, I, I actually really like that visualization of the spiral downward, but you have to stop that. Yeah. And so then in every meeting, talk about what's going, what's going right. Even, you know, going around the room and saying, you know, what good happened this week, <laughs> um, you know, starts people to, to focus on giving kudos of, of just paying attention to what little things are happening that are good and giving kudos of what they did kind of stops that like, that just bad negative behavior. 
it's funny. So we've developed this thing. Um, and so we, we, we do, and a lot of companies will do this, a lot of a lot of organizations, but we start every one of our major meetings with what we call good news checking. I mean, I do personal, professional good news, right? And everybody thinks, uh, you know, sometimes they think, oh, this is just, you know, wh- wh- why do we need to talk about this? Where do we need to, to, to do? But there's real science that proves that a little bit of laughter and a little bit of that actually yeah. breaks the adrenal cycle that is part of this downward spiral. It's important. And I'll tell you, you know, with, with the companies that I meet with, the ones that resist good news checking and do it artificially are always the ones that seem to have the biggest communication issues. They're the ones where the teams bump heads a lot. And the, the, the teams that actually get to this genuine point where they're listening to each other, they're laughing, they're enjoying it, always work better. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's, there's proven science behind it. You know, the generation of serotonin versus adrenaline and, and that adrenal response can happen so fast and it's triggered by some level of negative emotion. Um, when you go in, do you also find that with teams, sometimes they have to burn it out though. So I, yeah, I was just laughing, but, um, you know, so we, we, we've been getting caught up on Yellowstone. I don't know if you watch Yellowstone. It's a pretty popular show. <laughs> yeah, I do. And so in, in this, in, in this fourth season, um, there is a scene where two of the cowboys are fighting it out to just get all the anger out. And, um, and I remember the guy that was pushing it, you know, he keeps saying, Nope, keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. He wanted to get them all, get everything out and done. And I wonder if sometimes, you know, when we're in that room and, you know, if somebody has been triggered for a very, very long period of time, and though I don't care for just letting people just vent without moving towards some solution. Is there a point there where we just need to let them vent it out and burn all that negative energy so that they can reset? Is there a rock bottom that they need to hit to be able to start thinking about solutions? Oh, that's a really good, I do remember that scene in Yellowstone that was. um, So, you know, I do, I do believe people need to vent and get it out, especially if they're uh, feel like they have not been heard, but the the in order to move forward, they have to start seeing positive change, because uh, otherwise nothing's they're going to continue to be angry and continue um, to vent. And so, at some point, there has to be that that they have to see that positive change, and they have to see that. Um, their ideas or their hot buttons or their triggers, something something has been done to fix what they're complaining about. And, and look, I've had somebody in an organization that just would not ever get there, and I've had to fire them mm-hmm. uh, because they were simply unable to get past that bad, get bad stuff and and look at the changes and be good and to start be good with the changes and to start looking um, forward. But I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, the people that whine all the time and gossip all the time, you know, some of that's also just learned behavior Yeah, where that's how they connect with people. That's their, you know, they have lunch together and that's the, you know, whining fest or the gossiping fest and they haven't, um, they, they need new behaviors to put in its place. And you can't get rid of a behavior without putting in a new one in its place. Uh, and so that good news that you were talking about, having people talking about the, the good stuff or, um, you know, one, one interesting technique I've, I've used is a process improvement team. Mm-hmm. And I pick some of the biggest whiners and complainers 
and put them all on a process improvement team and gave them responsibility with, we, you know, within uh, a financial framework um, to figure out how to fix it. And it's, it's amazing when they're now put as the responsible person, how they stop complaining about something. And in many cases, their answer is completely different from what they were complaining about because all of a sudden they started seeing the bigger picture. They had to come up with a solution that worked across the company and they really changed their tune. Yeah. Um, so I love process improvement teams that go across the whole organization because then people not only, uh, you know, not only helps to, um, to have people within the team start really communicating with one another, um, but it gets people to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, people can't when when they're on those cross functional teams. Sometimes the people they're they're pointing at they're now sitting next to, and when right. they both have to solve the problem. It's 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 really it's it's such a smart approach, and I've, I've known a few clients to do it. But but I love the concept of you know what get all the whiners in the room and tell them to figure it out. There there, there is a lot to be done <laughs> right. done there. Um, right. You know, so we've obviously we've talked about winers quite a bit, and um, clearly a, a favorite of yours. Uh, there, there seem to be just a lot of them. You mentioned there are ten, um, ten types of these people, and I've, I've now forgotten a few of the others. What's the most difficult group to work with? The ones that are the hardest to turn around. The ones if if you if you end up let's say firing, you know, look, not everybody's going to make it. We know not everybody's going to make it. What group maybe has the greatest amount of losses where you have to cut bait more often than any other? Yeah, I think the two that are the hardest are the manipulators mm-hmm. and the liars. Um, and the reason I, I say that is because let's just look at the manipulators but it applies to both. You know, sometimes it's really hard to tell that you're being manipulated. They're very good. They're, um, they just, it's very insidious, insidious. What's the right word? You may yeah. want to. <laughs> Close enough. I, I stumble over my words and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, it, you know, but most, most people that are manipulating they spend a lot of time and energy creating an environment that they can control because they don't feel competent and they don't, they have fear and they fear they they're not enough. And so they try and manipulate the environment around them to make sure that they can control it and it puts them in a good light. Um, and it's, it's the hardest one to root out because a good manipulator, uh, you know, can, goes in and creates really chaotic situations. And sometimes it's hard to tell where they come from, like who's actually doing this. Yeah. So um, again, I'm trying to think about people and it, it, it seems like you discover, at least in my, my history, it, it seems like you always discover the manipulators at some point where you're now starting to feel a lot of pain. Like you have been manipulated and it's too late. And and I guess the question is, is if, is there a way to head that off? Is there a way to, are there, are there any key behaviors that you've identified that are, that are red flags? Maybe you can't say the person's a manipulator right this moment, but it's like, you know what? I better start, I better start watching for this. You know, I mean, I know that, that, that there've been situations, for instance, I've, I've been in others. I know where somebody will say, Hey, watch out for this person, right? They're always trying to get something out of you. 
Um, but you know, I'd love to hear from your experience. What are maybe some, some key red flags to identify early on? So from what, from my experience, uh, you're exactly right in what you said. I, I think the people that have been in organizations for a while know who, who to watch out for and who the manipulators are. They may not be able to put it into words. They just know that this person tries to control things, makes their own narrative. They, they um, go, you know, sometimes they do it through gossiping. Sometimes they do it through emotional manipulation. Sometimes they do it um, by, you know, telling people they, they can't do that or they're the only ones that can do this certain certain job. And, and listening to them, I would say my biggest mistake in organizations has been not recognizing the manipulators fast, tonight, oh, fast enough or let me put it a different way. I knew who they were, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. I couldn't quite figure out what they were doing wrong or why they made me feel and I should have paid more attention to those people. And as a matter of fact, the people that I did end up um, firing are ones that were manipulators because they wouldn't, they wouldn't stop. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Um, so Tina, this is, this has been great. I want to keep our conversation going. We have to take one more break here. So we're going to um, just take a couple minutes and we'll come back and uh, continue our conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership and execution. See you there. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Tina Kuhn. So we were talking about manipulators and, you know, you've had to fire, fire some in the past and I've had to fire some in the past. Um, you have a great story of, of one that you turned around and, and what that looked like afterwards. I mean, did you have to raise their level of awareness? Do, do manipulators know that they're doing it? Is there intent behind it? 
Some do, but I actually think some don't. I think they're they're um, doing this because of um, fear and fear that they're not enough. Fear that yeah. they somebody's going to find out that they're not. Uh, they can't do their job. I mean, people manipulate um, because they are not competent, and so digging into that, what what's their fear? Yeah. Why, why, why are they doing this? Why do they have to do this manipulation? I think is the best way. And I, I do have, I do have one. I have, um, I have somebody who uh, was in a, a fairly senior position um, and, you know, would spend hours a day going around to each person, um, you know, kind of changing the, the narrative um, really making people feel like they were the only one that could um, help them, could, you know, they were the center of this whole team, um, where, in fact, they really didn't do anything because they were in the wrong position and they could not do their job. So instead of learning how to do their job, they, they just spent all this time making people think they were doing a good job where in fact everyone else was doing their job for them and they really were not doing um, their job at all. And, and it was one that I recognized pretty fast. And I actually sent, sent this person to training even, and it was to a couple seminars and to really train them on their job and what they had to do. Um, And that, and, but then I also spent a lot of time with this person. I spent time having them do certain tasks so I could assess their, their own skills, not their team skills. Once I realized their team was doing everything and not, not them and, and not getting angry or um, judgmental, but talking about where their strengths were. And this person had some real significant strengths that we weren't using. They, they were just in the wrong job. And so we, I moved them to a business development job, which used their strengths. They were a very good um, speaker. They were good at interfacing with people. They were good at sales. They just weren't at this other job, which was kind of an internal um, management job. And by moving them to this other position, they ended up one of the best employees I had. But I had to get past their fear, get past their kind of incompetence in the role and get them into a place where they were, uh, they were very useful, very good, and it utilized their skills. Excellent. Excellent. And then, you know, you mentioned earlier that when we talked about the hardest type, the other one was with the liars. Now, I, I personally kind of have a zero tolerance for that. I mean, if, if, if I catch somebody lying, I, I just assume just get rid of them. To me, they don't have the right core values and everything, but, um, but I'd certainly love to hear your perspective on that. Oh yeah. Liars. And you know, people that, I mean, everyone lies, Look, every single person lies all the time. You lie saying somebody, um, Oh, you, you know, you think their kids are beautiful, you know, Oh, they look nice today. Oh, you know, there's all sorts of things that, that people, um, say that, are lying, but I'm talking about the real, the lies that are 
harmful, Mm -hmm. that are um, destructive. And I do find they are people that you, you want to root out quickly and you want to get out of your organization. If you, if you're stuck dealing with one and you don't have the power to fire them, then what I found is you have to write down every encounter. You have to document everything. You have to, sometimes email is the best way to, to talk to Olar because you have every, everything um, documented and you, you just have to make sure that you're very clear. Um, you don't allow any ambiguity and you make sure you know who they're talking to, to, to root out any lies that they've, they've told people. So to, to kind of contain them a little bit in, in their lying. And it's hard, especially if it's somebody that you don't have any power to change. You know, yeah. you can't, you can't fire them. You can't get rid of them if, if it's your boss or a coworker. Um, but to, to document everything, that would be my advice. Every single thing that they said, when they said it, um, even if it's just your own journal, because good liars have everyone believing what they say. Yeah, you know, and something I might add to that is, you know, it's good to have good verification in place, right? Good metrics and measurements. And, and I would say this for anybody. I think, I think every person has yep. to have clear objective measurements by which they are being measured. And those measurements should be tied to the things that are important. I had, had one, um, we, we had this one guy leave an organization and there were a lot of people in the organization thought he was a really, you know, top performer. And um, when he left, we found out all the things that hadn't gotten done and all the lies that were going on. And it was costly, very, very costly because here they were, they thought they were further down a path and they had to go back and, and, and restart, rebuild some processes, do some different things. It was a very, very costly situation. And, um, you know, the, the kind of postmortem on it when we look back is there just wasn't good enough metrics. They just trusted what he was saying. And I'm not saying to, to all of a sudden mistrust everyone in the organization, but it's back to the old adage, trust, but verify, have good metrics, have good measurements. And um, then you've got something you can hold people accountable to and you take the ability to lie away. Yeah. Great point. So, um, you know, in today's world, things now are, are different. You know, working virtual is here to stay. Whether whether people are going to be part-time in offices, I've got a lot of clients that are figuring out, well, you know, I don't necessarily need to have people in my office, you know, five days a week, you know, for 40 hours and all that stuff. I can rotate. I can actually, you know, do hoteling where people come up and have a shared space. Maybe they come in for meetings. They're finding ways to save costs. In, in some cases, if you have somebody who doesn't physically have to be there, obviously I'm not talking about somebody who operates a machine in a plant or anything like that, but I've got a lot of clients that are now outsourcing functions that don't need to be in a central office, and they're hiring people anywhere in the country. Um, one client in California, you know, they're, they're looking at hiring people from the central part of the United States. It's just a little less costly for them. You know, um, there's lots of options. And so what's happened now is we now have, it's been coming for a long time. GoToMeeting was around early, early on. And now we've got Zoom and, and Teams and so many different ways to communicate that virtual is here to stay. And, you know, there's the tactical aspect of communication, but there's also the, the how do I describe it? Almost the empathetic part of it, the part where there's human create connection. And that doesn't exist 
the same way when we're talking via video versus in the same room together. We miss a lot of the body language. And I've even been on a lot of, lot of um, meetings where the cameras go off after a while, um, where you know people are multitasking. You can see what they're doing. They're multitasking. So, you know, from your standpoint, how do you address the communication in this remote world, in this virtual world? And how do you, how do you optimize it in a way so that you're still able to, you know, weed out, change the bad behaviors, et cetera? Yeah, the remote work, you know, with the, you know, we're two years into the pandemic and, and yet there's still a lot of um, bad management and remote work. There's confrontation being done over email. There's um, too little or too many video meetings. There's all sorts of, um, you know, changes in the, in how you actually physically have to manage people when they're, when they're remote. And I'm not so sure we've all gotten the the hang of it yet. Yeah. So just like when you had everyone together, you have to build and keep those connections with employees and over zoom it's, or email or a teleconference. It's harder to do that. You have to make a more concerted effort to do that. You can't just walk down the hall and say hi and chit chat a minute and, you know, ask how their weekend is when you're in a, a Zoom meeting with 15 people. Right. It's just harder to, to keep those. So, um, you know, those, those techniques, and, and I'm seeing a lot of managers change to email communication, which doesn't keep those and build those um, connections with employees. Um, so let me just talk about some of the bad behavior, behaviors and let's talk about some of the things you can do to, to help it. Yes. So, you know, the video meetings I see, I, I see just like sometimes in real, in face-to-face people had too many meetings and it didn't allow people to get work done. I, I'm seeing that in the, in this zoom environment now where there's just too many meetings and there is zoom fatigue. It is real. It is hard to be on video six to eight hours a day. And then you don't get your, you know, you don't get your work done and it's, um, it's a difficult environment. And so managers have to balance, balance allowing people to get their work done. And that's why people turn off their cameras because they have things they need to get done. The meeting isn't worthwhile to them. They're not getting anything out of it. And so, you know, you have that, you know, you have that bad, um, bad behavior. And, you know, managers aren't spending that time to build trust with employees, which is much easier to do when you're face-to-face than when you're, you don't have that, that body language, you don't have that face-to-face. Um, and then another bad behavior that I'm seeing is um, the, the way managers are doing feedback. I'm seeing a lot of feedback through email. You know, they call it constructive feedback, but it's really telling somebody what they're doing wrong. Right. And to do that through email is, I, I just think is, typically more destructive than, than helpful. Yeah. You know, email to me, it's, it's one of the greatest tools we have. And it's also a bane of, of communication. It's, it's yep. just used so improperly. I mean, you know, earlier you mentioned use email with a liar to document. I think email is great for documenting stuff. 
Email is great for disseminating information. Email is great for scheduling. Email is horrible for, um, you know, creating, trying to have a conversation, trying to solve a problem. Uh, you know, I, I forget what it says, but, you know, a problem that could be solved in a five-minute phone call can take hours, if not days, to solve through emails, back and forth. Yep. You know, you know the, the question's not right. Things, you know, it, it goes back and forth. And then you have this back to the negative bias. If there's a right and a wrong way to read an email, we're going to read it the wrong way because we, there's no, you know, we can't see the person's body language. You know, were they upset? Were they not? We, so we always assume the worst. It's, it's just wild. And, and I encourage people all the time, talk, pick up a phone and call somebody. Go into their office if you're physical. Whatever you need to do, stop all this. This try to communicate through email. It's it's a horrible way, and it's you know what I, I hate to say it, but it's it's also a way for for somebody who's a little bit more cowardly to avoid having to talk with somebody. Sometimes again, you know, in, in the case of like an evaluation, a lot easier to send them an email than to actually sit down and, and talk with them. Oh yeah, you're exactly right, and you know, but part of being a manager is is doing that hard stuff and and talking to someone. Now, I believe all of it, all um, confrontation should be done with empathy where you're looking at, you know, their point of view as well and looking at the big picture. I mean, the, the point of confrontation is to get change done. And so the best way to get change done is to um, uh, approach it to solve a problem, not to berate someone. Yeah. And to figure out how how you can both um, work to solve this problem, and I I think a lot of confrontation is you know I want it done my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, there's which, no conversation. Which, um, <laughs> and and uh, to your point, the email basically says I want it done you know this way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny in uh in fierce conversation, Susan Scott uses a line. She says. Um, you know, a conversation is between two people, con from the sci- uh, the Spanish to be with, right? You, you know, to, to have worth, verse with somebody or something to that effect, she says. But there's so many people that have just versations, you know. <laughs> you know, and I think of it, the, the monologues. Um, you know, I hate to do this. We're, we're at the end of our time, so we have to bring the show to a wrap. But um, oh. I want to thank you for being with us. So, so everyone, it's, it's Tina Kuhn, K-U-H-N, and the book is The Manager's Communication Toolkit. Um, Tina is also CEO of Proximus Group. You guys are, are doing some really interesting things, a lot, of, a lot of growth going on there as well. And I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to explore that because that's an interesting story as well. Um, but, but thanks for being with us. Um, it, is the book, I'm assuming it's available on, on Amazon and, and all the major Yeah, resellers. Amazon and bookstores. Yeah, right. yeah, it's, it's a good one, everyone. So, so pick it up. Um, thanks again for being with us, Tina. Thanks. Well, everyone, we've got some great shows coming up in the upcoming weeks, so stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.